1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Thursday. It is November 2nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. You've heard us mention it all week long. We'll keep reminding you that Monday, everything changes with the time change. The Dan Patrick Show remains live 7 to 10 a.m., followed by the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 10 to 11 and this here program from 11 to 1. Uh, let's set the scene, though, with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which involves uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we know what happened in Game 5 yesterday, a 5 nothing loss. The Rangers win the World Series. We'll dissect that here momentarily. But in terms of the question, what most stood out during the Diamondbacks' postseason run, uh, winning two games in Philadelphia to win the National League pennant, Cattell Marte's hitting streak, or uh, late inning bullpen domination and the masses here as the computer refreshes are on the Diamondbacks uh, winning final two games in Philadelphia. 86% of the vote could tell Marte's hitting streak at 14% and late inning bullpen domination at 0% of the vote. Yeah, and uh, that hitting streak quietly came to an end last night. He did walk a few times. but uh, Three walks. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that one of them was certainly a pitch around uh, because they just weren't going to throw him a strike. So he was, you know, patient enough to take the walk. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, I'll say I think it, I'll, I'll kind of give out my answer a little bit, uh, a little clue here. Um, I'm not with the majority right now. Okay. <laughs> put, put it that way. Very good. We'll officially provide that answer around 11.30 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter, Bob had a conversation with David Beauclair of Believe Network talking all things Tennessee Titans. It's going to be a Will Levis start, his second start on a short week, heading to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. So who wins tonight in Pittsburgh? The Titans are the Steelers, and the masses are on the Steelers' side of things. It's 70% of the vote. Titans trailing at 30%. The flavor of the week, Will Levis, who um, obviously not the biggest fan of when he was in college. Um, and uh, we talked about that a little bit in the last hour. Uh, and also Cody Pickett says he is going to start tonight. Mike Tomlin is not completely said that Cody Pickett will start tonight. Uh, but Pickett said on Tuesday that he will play. Uh, we assume that he meant he's going to start. So we'll see what happens. But uh the much-anticipated Cody Pickett uh, versus Will Levis. I'm guessing that uh, you know when they did their promos for this game that they really didn't kind of have this as kind of the main storyline. By the way, DeAndre Hopkins didn't practice this week. What a stunning development there. Uh, but he's expected to play tonight, much like he did for the majority of his career here when it was almost breaking news when he did practice. And with the exception of his last year, uh, he still usually made it for the game. 
and usually did pretty well in those games. Yeah, so DeAndre Hopkins expected to be available for Will Levis. You'd also have to imagine that there will be a heavy run game involved for the Titans surrounding uh, Derrick Henry to try to help some of that pressure that will be coming for Will Levis. But uh, the Steelers could potentially be getting Cam Hayward back. Yeah, he's supposed to play. In fact, I don't even think he was on the final injury report. I know that he practiced during the week, and you know we've gone through the numbers. I don't have those exactly handy right now. But it's in a ridiculous amount uh, of a difference when he's on the field and when he's not on the field as far as a rush defense goes. And he also can pressure the quarterback. And, uh, yeah, he's, uh, I think, one of the more overlooked and underrated players in the NFL for several years running. And just, you know, if you want to you know, have anybody, if anybody argues that with you, uh, you can look up those numbers too, I'm sure. And uh, when he plays, they do this. And when he doesn't play, they don't do nearly as well. <laughs> so we'll officially answer that question in addition around 1130 today. We'll take your phone calls 602-260-1060 around 1030 and 1115. If you'd like to chime in for the Diamondbacks and their postseason run, the World Series, if you'd like to turn your attention to Thursday Night Football's game or uh, anything else NFL, college football related. Let's get things going here though with that Diamondbacks and Rangers World Series game uh, the Rangers won game 5 it was 5 to nothing let's start with Zach Allen though who got the ball here for the Diamondbacks in game 5 and it was a gem of a start from him especially in this situation 6 and a third innings pitch 3 hits 1 run 1 walk 6 strikeouts 83 pitches top of the 7th though you had Seager uh, he got the hitting started with a single then Carter hit a double and then uh, Garver who moved up in the order following Garcia's injury single to get Seager home. Mitch Garver, I believe, was interviewed in-game and said something along the lines of, you know, Zach Gallen was pitching really well, but going through the order the third time, they were able to see something there and take advantage of the situation. Uh, pitching coach Brett Strom, Brent Strom was asked post-game about Gallen. He said here uh, it was excellent. It, it's been weighing on him that he hasn't pitched up to his standards in the playoffs the team has been kind of carrying him a little bit and he took it upon himself tonight to carry us but uh, put us on his back gave us a chance to win unfortunately the cue ball a base hit got us the way the game was going I mean early if we could have gotten some runs it might have been different Avaldi pitched well he's done it before he got out of some jams and credit goes to him well Gallon pitched the game of his life I mean uh, he's never pitched better than that and uh you know, the way he economized pitches, and quite frankly, the Rangers were really way too anxious and swung in a lot of first pitches, and there were a ton of first and second pitch outs, so there would have been more strikeouts. Uh, but that allowed him to pitch into the seventh inning because, uh, you know, it was you know, the economizing of pitches was really pretty ridiculous. Uh, on the other hand, Evaldi, uh, you know, he was you know, pitching out of jams literally every inning. In fact, the Diamondbacks had a runner, at least one runner in scoring position in each of the first five innings. They didn't have any hits then, uh, in, with runners in scoring position. I've talked about this issue with their clutch hitting uh, being an issue, especially in the second half of the year. More times than not, it was a problem in the second half of the season. And even once sometimes in the playoffs and – yeah, you know, earlier in the playoffs, especially in the play, the series against the the Brewers and the Dodgers, they just uncharacteristically hit home runs, 
and didn't have to worry about their poor you know ratio and and numbers with runners in scoring position but last night it reached an all-time low or high depending on your viewpoint there uh you know Uvalde threw 95 pitches just in those first five innings 43 of those 43 of those were with runners in scoring position, which is I don't think I've ever heard of a number like that. I probably have. I watched way too many games, thousands in my life. But that was uh, certainly in that kind of situation in the World Series game. I'd be shocked if anybody had thrown that many pitches. Uh, Forty-three, Once again, 43 of his 95 pitches just in the first five innings uh, with runners in scoring position, and the Diamondbacks failed to take advantage of that. They ended up, uh, you know, you know they're 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position for the game. Uh, they left 11 guys on base. Uh, they had two guys. Seven of their nine guys in the lineup were at least had, you know, at least one at bat with runners in scoring position. Obviously, none of them had a hit. And you know, Tommy Pham and Geraldo Perdomo had an awful game last night. Uh, they were 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, I when uh, Fox put up that graphic of 43 pitches thrown with runners in scoring position for Nathan Nivaldi, I had to write that down because that just seemed like it has to be some sort of historical record because that's just wild. And to walk away with it with zero runs given up. To your point, we have praised... Uh, Geraldo Perdomo for being really solid in that nine hole, whether it's been uh, getting some really key at bats, drawing walks, getting some singles, bunting guys over. He's really done everything, being able to turn the top of the order over, give uh, Cattell Marte or Corbin Carroll, whoever's leading off some opportunities as well. Uh, He's done great. And yesterday was a little surprising to see the at bats that he took a couple of just standing there, uh, you know, and and getting called strikes, it was a little well, bit surprising. Three, he, yeah, yeah, he had three called third straight third strikes in his at bats, and yeah, he was awful. Um, you know, we mentioned Gallon had the game of his life, uh, and it's a good side. And uh, there were probably a few games that Perdomo was, you know, and he didn't hit at all last year, uh, but you know that might be the worst night he's ever had to play. Uh, then you had Cattell Marte. We touched on this a little bit here with his impressive 20-game post-sitting hitting streak. It did come to a close, but he was able to make an impact with three walks in the ball game here. Uh, certainly, they were probably thinking to themselves that we don't want this guy to beat us. Yeah, even though I thought there were a couple opportunities that he could have uh, been a little more aggressive. Not the one that there was, I forget exactly which at-bat it was. They were clearly pitching around in one of those at-bats because... You know, let's face it, uh, you know, Moreno was just out of gas. That dude is caught every game for like a month and a half uh, going back to the regular season. And, you know, his, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, he didn't do anything in the World Series offensively for the most part. Uh, and I think that that had a lot to do with, you know, catchers that have to play that much. And it's not just a physical thing. I mean, it's, you know, there's got to be. Uh, you know, a psychological thing too. It's a lot for a catcher to do, especially in the postseason when you have a million different pitchers and the way the Diamondbacks were going about things, more than a million different pitchers, it seemed. Uh, so, you know, between those two things, I think that he was just uh, running on empty uh, for the uh, for the World Series for the most part. 
I, I agree with that for sure. Uh, post game from Tori Lovello, he says here when asked, uh, you know, about the, the fan and the fan support here, it was a pretty uh, emotional response from him. He says, I've been feeling that for the past month, maybe even the last couple of weeks of the regular season. This fan base was behind us and they were ready to go at every turn to root us on, cheer us on. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry I didn't do my job to get us there, but I will. We all will. We know they are out there. We love them. We can say they can say what they want to us in the good times and the bad, but we know that they want a world championship as badly as we do. We all bleed Sedona red. Yeah, I think the one thing, and I talked to a couple of people that were there last night. Um, is you know, one is a fan. And, you know, it sounded like there were a lot of Rangers fans there last night. And uh, they both said, yeah, there were a lot of Rangers fans from la- there last night. And I don't quite, I'm a little surprised by that. I mean, I've gone to Rangers spring training games here and nobody's there uh, over the years. Uh, so I'm not sure where they all came from, but uh, they were all there last night. And, uh, you know, in the post game, you know, they when they did the on-field celebration, they uh, certainly there were many, many Rangers fans there, uh, making their uh, voices heard then too. Yeah, you know, I take away from this. Obviously, I think uh, it, it's an emotional situation to be there in a post-game setting and reflecting on what just happened. The World Series run is over. You know how special this whole team has been uh, to to get to the postseason. To, I guess to surpass expectations that you had at the start of the season, and then to have the run that you did in the postseason and have it just abruptly come to an end. You know, obviously, just all of that emotional element there. Surely, we can second-guess decisions that. He makes here and there but overall I think keeping in perspective uh, the team making it to the World Series I think keeping in perspective the run that they had um, you know being able to shore up the bullpen there at the end of September and how they were able to handle things in in the postseason Brandon Fott's performances in the postseason there's just a lot of emotion that goes into it and I think Torrey has a lot uh, to be proud of with how he's managed things too. Oh, I totally agree with that. I think he did about as well as anybody could possibly do. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Also, I think it needs to be pointed out that they were thoroughly outclassed and got their asses kicked in the World Series. I mean, they were not as good a roster, deep roster, as far as position players, even though you know the Rangers lost Garcia, and that didn't even matter to them uh, as they got all the runs on uh, you know the in Game 4 without him and then you know, figured it out late innings last night. You know, their pitching staff, the, to me, the biggest thing uh, you know, to me is I, I think we realized that the starting staff was going to be deeper, and that was, and I'm including, you know, you know Heaney last night, who was really a starting pitcher two, two nights ago, excuse me, who clearly is, you know, he's a starting pitcher. I know he was a, quote, opener and so forth, but he started his almost his entire career. But the biggest surprise to me as far as the World Series is I think the I thought the biggest advantage the Diamondbacks had uh, quite frankly, I thought the only advantage the Diamondbacks had heading into the World Series would be their late-inning bullpen, and the Rangers' late-inning bullpen was far superior to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, it was. Uh, certainly, I have some numbers here, specifically talking about Josh uh, Sor- Sorbors. I think I'm saying that wrong. He was Spores. the one. That, yeah, he was the one that concluded the game last night. 
Uh, we'll get Correct. we'll get into the Rangers side of things and the no doubt Corey Seager should have been the MVP and to talk a little bit more about the Rangers side of things and some of the history that is behind the Rangers getting it done on the other side of the break. Once again, we'll reserve time for phone calls around 1030 and 1115 today. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. We'll do that around 1030 and 1115. The extra point right here on this Thursday. November 2nd, KDOS AM 1060. Ready to bring KDOS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDOS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDOS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Ten twenty-three, right here on KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app. Furthering our World Series conversation with the Rangers winning 4-1 to one in the series, wrapping up a Game 5, 5-0 five victory. Let's talk a little bit about the Rangers side of things here. No doubt Corey Seager should have been named the MVP. It was timely hits, hits for power, walks, you name it. He is and Really was. good defense. Yeah. I mean, that was actually kind of swept at the corner here. I mean, he made a couple of plays that... You make a case that he saved the game, game four, uh, with his uh, backhanded play that got the double play started in that game. I mean, he's he was tremendous. His defense has always not been great, but it was in this series. Absolutely. He is and was a, a game changer. And then I think you also have to point out uh, the rookie here, Evan Carter. He had an impressive World Series as well at the plate. I, I think he was a doubles machine, it seemed like. And, and then you further that without Garcia. Uh, you guys moved up and around in the order, and they just kept getting timely hits. Yes. Uh, we've said a lot during the season that uh, when they're – you know, completely healthy and so forth, which for them was really not very often uh, simultaneously during the season. They seemingly always had somebody out, including obviously at the end of the World Series. Uh, but, you know, they had a historical run in the postseason in many ways. It went 11-0 and zero on the road. Uh, that's an all-time MLB postseason record. Uh, since the playoffs expanded to 12 teams in 2022, they became the first team to win 13 postseason games. Uh, the the first team of the four professional the four major professional sports at least in North America with 11 road wins in a single postseason. Uh, Bruce Bochy has now won four titles in 13 years. Uh, actually, this was 13 days to the year after his first title, which came in 2010 when the Giants beat the Rangers. Ironically. Of course, he won rings with the uh, San Francisco Giants and also in 2012-2014. He's the sixth manager to win four World Series titles, joining Casey Stengel, who won seven, Joe McCarthy, who won seven, both those guys with the Yankees, of course, Connie Mack, who managed to, he's like literally like 80. Uh, he won five, Walter Alston with the Dodgers, four, Joe Torre with the Yankees, four. All those guys are in the Hall of Fame, obviously, Bochy, will be in the Hall of Fame someday. And he would have been in the Hall of Fame quicker if he had not uh, gotten off his recliner, as he called it, uh, the last few days in Tennessee and decided to manage again. 
Uh, Evaldi, on the other hand, they finished uh, the, for the postseason five and zero, the first pitcher ever to win five postseason starts in the same season. Uh, his teams are now eleven and one in his career postseason starts, including four and zero in series deciding games. So you know that pretty much just covers the Rangers themselves collectively, their manager, and obviously their starting pitcher from last night. Uh, a little, uh, one other thing on Bruce Bochy here in uh, Game Seven of the ALCS. In order to punch their ticket to the World Series, he then became six and zero in winner take all games. He also happens to have fourteen wins in elimination games. Players talked about him post game, just about his calming presence, because. You know, the, the question that I have, we revere him as being this big time manager. He deserves all of the accolades that he's getting. But at the end of the day, he's the manager. The players have to go out there and execute. Yet his players seem to always come through in the most pivotal moments. And I wonder if that does have something to attribute to his calming presence, et cetera. Like, you know, what sort of gifts is he giving them to handle those moments? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I never thought about that. I think the best thing that he's done is certainly in his Giants days and literally in this series, really the postseason here, because this bullpen was much more effective than it was during the regular season when really they spent almost daily moves, it seemed like. And, you know, really from the trade deadline, even through August and September, and uh, to try to figure out how to you know, get the last nine outs of game. Uh, which was a major pro- – that was the, clearly their lone weakness uh, during the regular season other than staying healthy. Uh, really, that was a big deal. And, you know, look back at his Giants days, and, you know, I thought his bullpen uh, – I don't want to – you know, I was going to use the word manipulation. That sounds like devious, but you get the gist of the – and so forth. He, the way he, you know, used the guys in the right spots, and he wasn't always going just lefty against lefty before the rules changes and so forth. He just seemed to do the right thing almost always when it came to bullpen moves in late game regular season or excuse me, late game postseason games throughout his career with the Giants, and certainly we've seen that uh, in the month of October and now the first uh, day or so of you know, the last I guess there was one more one day in November where they played last night. Uh, but in, the, in this postseason, he had similar success. I think his bullpen usage which I should have said to begin with like four minutes ago, sorry. His bullpen usage, I think, has been the strength of his uh, managerial career as far as the postseason goes. Yeah, you talk about bullpen usage here. Uh, the pitching was great for the Rangers. We trying to mention this as we were heading into this segment. Uh, a guy like Josh Spores, he had a 5.50 ERA in the regular season. Here in the postseason, a 0.75 ERA. Uh, and he ended up being used a lot in setup-type situations. So figuring out how to get those last six, nine outs, as you were talking about, Bochi seemed to just push all the right buttons. But again, pushing all the right buttons, the guys have to go out and execute, and they absolutely did. Well, and he had to, Spores had to you know, really pitch that third inning last night. Once they got the you know, the three runs or four runs, four runs in the eighth inning to make it a 5 nothing game, that gave Bochi the luxury of not having to pitch LeClerc. And Spores actually revealed in the post-game last night that LeClerc was really sore, and they were going to try to avoid him, even though he was warming up in the, the uh, little bit in the eighth and uh, briefly in the ninth inning last night. So that, that makes sense because that would have been a third day in a row that uh, LeClerc would have had to pitch, and 
yeah, he's a guy that's had a history of arm problems in the past, so I'm sure that yeah, I'm pretty sure he's under contract after this year, uh, LeCork is. So, yeah, I know that they're you know, thinking about winning a championship and let's finish this off, but I'm sure that uh, there was in the back of their mind wondering if there would be some kind of uh, you know, long-term ramifications and all you have to do if people think I'm crazy to bring this up, just you know, look up Steven Strasburg and the way that he used uh, was used and helped uh, the Nationals win the excuse me the uh, yeah the Nationals win the uh, series in 2019 and you know three years later his career is over and he's hardly ever pitched since. The other thing we have to point out here for this Rangers run to the World Series is how effective they were on the road with 11 straight road game victories. Yes, that's one of the first things I mentioned there, and uh, nobody's ever done that before, and you know it was pretty amazing, and uh, you know they uh, you know, they just uh, they they they. I can't imagine just the way that they started the playoffs, actually just the way they ended the regular season and then immediately started the playoffs. They blew the season. It looked like when they lost the division by losing the last three games of the regular season at Seattle and the Diamondbacks were losing games here to Houston. And then, you know, they're in Seattle. They blow the regular season, which they thought they had pretty much won. And then they go to Tampa, and then two days later, they have to start a series against Tampa in Tampa, which was a dominant home team in spite of all the Tampa Bay pitching injuries. They still won a large percentage of their home games. And the fact that they won both those games in that series, that kind of got started, and uh, they didn't lose a road game the entire time, as it turns out. Impressive. So now the list of teams that have never won a World Series have shrunk to the Mariners, the Brewers, the Padres, the Rockies, and the Tampa Bay Rays. And Bruce Bochy managed the Padres in one of those you know, 1998 World Series way back in the day. Uh, former Padre player, and uh, and uh, they unfortunately they ran into one of the best teams in baseball history in the 1998 Yankees, uh, and. Uh, you know, they had a, you know, the Tino Martinez Grand Slam home run in that first game of that World Series off of uh, Mark Langston. Uh, they, that series probably wasn't going to go different as far as who wins the series, but uh, uh, that pretty much ended the series before it really even got started. What to you initially here stands out about this overall postseason? For the Diamondbacks? For the Rangers? Anything. For life in general? Well, it got better, um, even though I'm still disappointed to some extent. You know, we, what we only saw a couple of Game 7s, and one of them was just kind of a joke uh, when the Rangers destroyed the Astros. Uh, so that was it. I, you know, the first two rounds were really disappointing because there were many, many sweeps and not a lot of drama. And you know, I think really overall, quite frankly, the last month lacked drama. There wasn't much of it. Yeah, I, I think um, the NLCS, to me, stands out as the most fun series that we had in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I would say, well, I got yes, for seven games, yeah. If the, I think that the first six games of the, the Rangers and Astros series, I thought that was the best six games that were played in one, you know, there were only a few seven-game series, obviously, only two. But the first six games of that series was kind of like every inning had you know something going on. You know the last game was just completely a rout. Uh, but you know the, certainly the end of the Diamondbacks and Phillies series. But as far as a complete series, 
Uh, if I wanted to look back and if I was going to watch these games again just for baseball purposes and, you know, the, you know, aesthetic baseball purposes, I'd watch that Rangers and Astros series first. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in, if you'd like to touch on the World Series. The Diamondbacks run in the playoffs. Uh, the Rangers, Bruce Bochy, getting a Texas Rangers World Series for the first time in franchise history. If you'd like to transition to NFL topics, Arizona Cardinals, college football, you got it. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll also touch on here, uh, following the Raiders letting go of Josh McDaniels, the Athletic has put together a uh, Five NFL coaches who could be on the hot seat. So we'll discuss some of those uh, according to what the athletic thinks is potentially on the horizon in the NFL. You never know. 602-260-1060, though, is the number if you'd like to chime in. It is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Thirty-nine, right here in the Extra Point on KDUS AM 1060. It is... Thursday, November 2nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A reminder here for you, time change. The rest of the country changes. Here in Arizona, we don't, but it does impact our morning programming with the Dan Patrick Show moving live 7 to 10 a.m., followed by the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 10 to 11, and this here program from 11 to 1. Those times get started on Monday. 602-260-1060 if you'd like to join the conversation. Uh, following the Raiders letting go of Josh McDaniels yesterday, he's the first coach this season to be fired. The Athletic put together five NFL coaches who could also be on the hot seat. Number one. Hey, real quickly, before we get rolling on this, I had completely forgotten he got a six-year contract from the Raiders. Oh he my God. absolutely <laughs> did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So, as I mentioned in the sports zone briefly, uh, you know, shame on them, but I don't feel sorry for them at all that they didn't make it through two years with him because they gave him six years. They almost deserve it. Yeah, it's, it, it certainly was interesting to give him a six-year contract in general. Just doing a six-year contract is um, – saying you have a lot of confidence and a lot of faith in the coach, uh, but then specifically as well now looking back on the history here with Josh McDaniels as a head coach, he hasn't made it through two complete seasons as a head coach. Well, and the Raiders history, I mean, whether it's Al Davis or Mark Davis, I mean, my God, they've gone through coaches at an astronomical rate this century. That they have, and uh, for, the, for the Raiders, it's uh, gosh, you you it's crazy to think here that uh, Josh McDaniels and just everything that keeps coming out about you know him and the player relations and uh, his interaction with the players, the locker room, etc. Uh, guys just were miserable being around him. And then on top of that, if you look at you know what he is good at with offense and that's his background, they didn't have a game this season where they scored more than twenty points. 
Yeah, and I I'm not disputing any of this, you know, whether he you know, can't get along with humans and all that and so forth. They have a really really bad roster. And you know, they have I mentioned yesterday and I I haven't really thought about this and I'm not going to sit down and go through every roster, but other than the Cardinals, I think you can make a case because uh, Carolina's got a lot of good players. Unfortunately, most of their good players have been hurt this year. But I can make a case that the Raiders have the second-worst roster in the NFL. Yeah, and clearly the general manager, Dave Ziegler, he also came over with Josh McDaniels. They were tied to, together, six-year contract for both. Uh, if you don't even make it through two years, you're not giving them a lot of time to rebuild this roster because clearly Correct. the decision to move on from Derek Carr signifies that there is going to be a roster turnover, et cetera, moving forward. So that leads me to believe there is smoke where there's fire there about, um, or fire where there's smoke, I should say, about him and getting along with everyone everybody in the relations that it was time to start over altogether. Well, and also, I don't really think this roster has much to do with Ziegler and McDaniels here. I think it has completely have to do with John Gruden, who did a horrendous job drafting and building a roster when he was there he did made some just atrocious personnel decisions yeah that that to me is like they didn't even give him time to start rebuilding with with their players that they wanted to bring in so uh interesting to see what directions they'll move forward with we have uh five names as well from the athletic about where the raiders could potentially turn if we have some time we'll get into that here but when it comes to other names is harbaugh on that list it is (laughs) Well, that, the NFL's pretty much ruled out Harbaugh coaching in the NFL next year. They kind of confirmed that this morning. He ain't going to be coaching in the NFL next year. Yeah, uh, it is on that list, so we can eliminate him. Um, but uh, for for what coaches on the NFL hot seat here, uh, number one on their list was Ron Rivera. We touched on him a little bit yesterday with the Commanders. Huh. I, I think a lot of people in general – just wondered that this was probably going to happen anyway with new ownership coming in that you were going to allow this season to play out and then they were going to bring in their own uh coaching staff and and re revamp what they wanted to revamp but certainly i think it definitely suggests that that's on the horizon here when you trade away montez sweat when you trade away chase young so you trade away to players I'm just curious what that does to a locker room because obviously individually players have incentives. They're playing for their next job. They're playing for incentives in their contracts. They're playing for pride. They're playing for the love of the game. There's many different reasons why they're individually playing for. But when the message is perceived, two of your best defensive uh, edge rushers are gone. What does this mean about your head coach, et cetera? There's just kind of a lot of, hey, this is a, a lame year now. I don't think there's any question that he's gone. And I was actually, you know, when they had the ownership change, I know we talked about it. I'm sure I brought it up more than once. Uh, I thought he'd be gone then. I didn't even think he'd made, make it to the start of the season. I thought he'd be, I thought they'd just start over at that point, but they didn't. And I don't know, you know I'm guessing that, you know, talk about a bad roster. Uh, you know they have uh, they have some good players. Unfortunately, most of them are defensive linemen, and now two of them are gone, and uh, they're they're really really bad. Um, so I don't think that's going to change any. And uh, it would be a shock if he were back next year. In fact, you know they don't. They, other than Josh McDaniels here, rarely do you see a coach get fired during the season. But uh, uh, 
If this were a different sport, if this were baseball or the NBA, God forbid, he'd be long gone now. Uh, number two on the list here is Brandon Staley with the Chargers. The defense this year is struggling mightily, which happens to be his background. Uh, you were thinking that maybe this team could take a leap from last year's playoff team, but it seems like the leap has actually gone backward, not forward. Up next for the four games for the Chargers, they have the Jets, the Lions, the Packers, and the Ravens. Well, I've never bought into this, and I'll just expand this by saying that their defense has sucked since he got there. It was actually it wasn't very good before he got there, but it was much better than it has been since he's been there. And he's a defensive guru, and their defense has been bad. And uh, you know, their, their offensive coordinator situations doesn't. I don't think that's gotten any better this year with the world famous Kellen Moore. Now the uh, coordinator is going to change everything. And uh, they have as many issues as they've ever had on offense. Number three on this list here is Matt Eberflus with the Bears. Uh, the coaching staff in general has been going through a lot of turmoil this this year with Chicago. Uh, they just this week fired their running backs coach. Then you look at the on-field product here for Justin Fields. We know he's been missing some time with the injury, but is he making the necessary steps forward to say, yes, he can be the quarterback of the future for the Chicago Bears? You make the trade for Montez Sweat, so you're trying to do things to rebuild a defense that we know was stripped down. Yeah, I'm not a Justin Fields guy. Uh, even though I'm an Ohio State fan, I never really thought that he'd be a good NFL quarterback. He has plenty of time to prove me wrong. Uh, but I just think that he's way too injury prone. Uh, he didn't learn how to protect himself uh, physically when he was at Ohio State, where he was injured every year he was a starter. Obviously, he's been injured in the NFL. He takes a lot of shots that he shouldn't have to take. I mean, their offensive line's bad. I do think that you know, Ryan Poles is going to stay as the general manager uh, because I can't imagine ownership and having been around the Bears situation for a few years back uh, many years ago, but that really hasn't changed too much, quite frankly. I can't imagine that they would have allowed him to trade a second-round pick if he weren't going to be the general manager next year. Yeah, I agree with that here. So maybe he's going to have the opportunity to hire a different head coach in Matt Eberflus. I don't know if he's done enough uh, to suggest that he inspires yeah. confidence. Well, I don't think he, he, he's done everything to not inspire confidence. He's a bad head coach. Number four on this list is Todd Bowles with the Bucks. It seems as though this was an important year for Bowles before the season got started. Uh, the Bucks started three and one, so it somewhat silenced some of those conversations that were had before the start of the year. But now the Bucks have lost three in a row. And this team overall just feels like it kind of got thrust into to limbo. You had pieces, you had players. Tom Brady comes in, changes a lot of the dynamics. Tom Brady leaves. And you kind of hold on to some of the players when maybe they should have found other teams and you should have just embraced an in total rebuild. But they kind of like held on and they're in the bit of this limbo zone, maybe thinking Baker Mayfield could come in and help things. A new offensive coordinator with Dave Cannells. I'm not sure if anything has really been improved. Well, I really don't think that's anything to do with Bulls, quite frankly, because everything has to do with uh, going from Tom Brady uh, to Baker Mayfield, and uh, that, that's like going to the you know, the best uh, you know, pizzeria pizza you've ever had to frozen pizza. <laughs> 
And number five on the athletics list here is Bill Belichick with the Patriots. Uh, I'm actually a little surprised that the Patriots were not sellers at the deadline because this team is not just a couple of different positions away from being good. There's a lot of areas that need to be rebuilt and addressed. Mac Jones, I think, has proven that he is not the answer at quarterback. So the questions are, where do you turn? Uh, How do you get better options at wide receiver, some more speed? And then I think... The question here is Bill Belichick has a ton of say, if not final say, in personnel decisions, general manager type decisions. Is there a long conversation in the offseason that someone else has a little bit more control over general manager? And is Bill willing to give any of that up? Well, they just signed into a Well, not just. We didn't find out about it till last weekend. I, was that the week last weekend or the weekend before? Recently. Weekend before. Uh, that he, okay. These kind of run together. Sorry. Uh, but you just got to, you know, he, we just learned he got a contract extension last off season, So he's not going anywhere. I'm a little surprised you're, you know, you're surprised that they weren't sellers. Who do they actually have to sell that somebody would want to buy? Supposedly there were calls about uh, Josh Uche. Uh, and he's hurt. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, supposedly there was also some interest in Mike Jasicki. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's been, uh, he's already been on, you know, that would be three teams in less than two years for him. So, you know, I can't, you know, I'm looking at, I, when I was doing the, the, uh, Zach Ertz thing for the Cardinals a couple weeks ago, we thought he might get traded. There's not many contenders that actually are looking for a tight end. Interesting, though, because uh, they do have a lot of things that they need to to address. That's for certain. On the other, they just don't have they just don't have very many good players. They might be on that list too of uh, worst rosters in the NFL right now. On the other side of the break, we'll wrap up hour number one of this Thursday, November second. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you on KDUS AM ten sixty. downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail. Chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. number one here on KDOS AM 1060 as always online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app go ahead and download that and listen to us wherever you are on your phone uh, when it comes to continuing with you know Josh McDaniels and the situation with the Raiders inspiring this here uh, the athletic put together a list of names to be on the lookout that maybe should draw some interest from the Las Vegas Raiders and first on this list I'm sure you would endorse this one Bob uh, Ben Johnson the offensive coordinator with the Lions. Yeah. He was a hot name last offseason. He interviewed with the Colts and the Texans, ultimately decided to stay in Detroit with the Lions. It's 25 points per game for the offense this season, 390.6 yards per game. And then also, you know, when we talk about Jared Goff and the success that he's been having since Ben Johnson has taken over as offensive coordinator, I'm sure it, it, it has it has an impact. 
I also think it's a lot more challenging for him this season because they've had a lot of injuries in the offensive line when intact is you know maybe the second best offensive line in the NFL behind only Philadelphia. Obviously, they've had running back injuries with Montgomery. He's, they've had multiple wide receivers, including some of their you know their top two guys missed games this year, and yet they've still been, with the exception of that one you know horrendous game on every side of the ball and special teams. Uh, at Baltimore, but you know, they've managed to you know, keep things rolling pretty well. Absolutely. Uh, second on this list here is Frank Smith, the Dolphins offensive coordinator. We know head coach Mike McDaniel calls the plays, but this also happened with McDaniel getting a shot at being head coach. Uh, he was behind Kyle Shanahan not calling the plays. Smith also has some Raiders ties. He was their tight end coach from 2018 to 2020. But I don't know much about Frank Smith because we only know about Mike McDaniel. Well, and yeah, I'd be shocked if the Raiders went out and hired another offensive coordinator uh, after the McDaniels experiment or if he miserably failed or whatever you want to call this thing. And I would also be really leery of hiring a guy who is not even calling plays in Miami. And uh, we'll get to this third list here because we had two offensive guys. The third guy, Mike McDonald, is the Ravens' defensive coordinator. The Ravens' defense allows just 15.1 points per game, 276.5 yards per game. And I have been impressed with this Ravens' defense, especially with the several injuries that they had to start the year. The former University of Michigan guy, he's got that, uh, that Harbaugh-Michigan connection. Uh, so there's that. Um, to me, I think the Raiders need to, more importantly, they need to hire a general manager who can actually you know, properly assess talent. To me, that's the biggest hire they have upcoming instead of the head coach. Hour number two, we'll start with some updates from the Arizona Cardinals. Jonathan Gannon and Clayton Toon meeting the media. We'll dive into that to start hour number two.